a platform for an in-depth look in economic matters with leaders and decision makers. This is BizTalk. Welcome everyone to this edition of BizTalk here on CGTN. I'm Michael Wong in Beijing. Today we zoom in on cross-border e-commerce. Now China says cross-border e-commerce has become the new driving force of foreign trade. It's growing faster than domestic e-commerce. Market research company Forrester estimates that cross-border e-commerce will reach a whopping 736 billion U.S. dollars by 2023. Of course, this is a colossal market opportunity with platforms, brands, and logistics companies all wanting a slice of the pie. So what's next for cross-border e-commerce? Will buyers and merchants from opposite sides of the world truly have a seamless buying experience? Let's bring in Derek Dung, head of Greater China Consumer Products Practice at Bain and & Company, and Pascal Coppins, partner at Nextworks, a platform to connect and inspire innovators. Pascal is also a keynote speaker, as well as a tech entrepreneur. Pascal, I want to get your thoughts first in terms of why China's cross-border e-commerce is really seeing a boom. We saw the first half of this year, cross-border e-commerce exports from China grew 44.1%. Yeah, I, I believe that uh, in general the the market is just uh, a huge demand because of course the, uh, the the number of people that are coming into the middle class is growing and so people have more uh, demand for cross-border but we have to look back at e-commerce itself and I think the reason that China's boomed as e-commerce and now is going into cross-border e-commerce is really about the fact that before it was very fragmented the retail sector and so e-commerce was a good alternative for a very small immature and fragmented retail sector that wasn't the case in the West. But I think the infrastructure is what is really making the difference. Uh, and we don't always think about it when we think about uh, infrastructure from the West. We, we don't see that how much mobile payment and these super apps have really changed China. And, and also the logistics, just this last mile delivery is just very much mature in China. And, and I think that made the difference. Yeah. And Derek, perhaps I want to get your thoughts on the policy support for uh, China that you see in this country in terms of further developing cross-border e-commerce. You know, we allow, you know, international brands to come into China without really uh, registering uh, like a sort of onshore, um, you know, um, operation and selling at a preferential duty rate. And also, um, you know, the, the customer clearing also give a lot of uh, preferential treatments so that uh, the product can come into China, be clearing the uh, customers and get to the sort of uh, the doorsteps of uh, consumers home at a, at a really high speed. So that really further promotes uh, the growth of uh, e-commerce. And that won't be possible without all, a lot of the, you know, the policy that's supporting and also accelerating the growth of that. E-commerce think tank reports show that China's cross-border e-commerce financing reached nearly $1.2 billion in the first half of this year. That was four times further than that number a year before. Rising demand for quality goods and the government's determination to roll out its 105 cross-border e-commerce pilot zones makes China the ideal market for foreign companies. So based on everything that you mentioned, do you think China is really leading the world on that? I believe so. Yeah, if you just look at the sheer number um, of uh, sort of the mobile phones users um, and also daily um, or monthly active users of some of the um, plat digital platforms that in China, um, you know, it's it's really unparalleled um, compared mm. to other market in the world. And also, you know, the, the, the maturity of the infrastructure when it comes to delivery and also supply chain 
in terms of the capacity of manufacturing um, and in terms of uh, the policy support we just talked about. So all those are actually sort of uh, tailwinds uh, that really help further uh, growth um, the, the, the e-commerce. And also, um, to be honest, promotes the, the emergence of uh, new platforms or new ideas, uh, sort of new business models that come and come out and challenging um, you know, the, the, the big incumbents in the world. You know, we talk about Alibaba and, and JD being uh, really the, uh, the innovators um, several years ago, but they are now the incumbent, uh, incumbents and being challenged by some of the sort of newest uh, competitors or newest uh, challengers in, in the market. So that really, you know, helps China then become, continue becoming at the forefront of the uh, innovation. Amazon and AliExpress are the two behemoths in the e-commerce sector. Each has absolute dominance in their respective domestic market. They're also each other's biggest rivals, as they both look to capture a large share of global e-commerce market. That's expected to reach 24.3 trillion US dollars by 2025. Alibaba has a goal of delivering goods from China to anywhere on the planet into 72 hours. It has fired up its competition with Amazon. The two giants believe in different business models with distinct features. Who is likely to win out? We're seeing the rise of these cross-border e-commerce pilot zones as well. There are over a hundred of them uh, across China. And when it comes to customs, you spoke about this, Derek, it's really fast. You can get customs in and out in one minute, pretty much under a minute now, before it was four hours. So these pilot zones are something definitely we should be on the lookout for. Pascal, you know, when we talk about China's cross-border e-commerce, when we talk about international e-commerce, we can't, I feel, get away from the distinction between Alibaba and Amazon. What do you think is the main difference between these two global tech giants? The main difference, in my view, is, is the way or the mindset of those two companies. And, and when we look at Amazon, for example, it's very, very clear that they want to control this whole supply chain. They want to make sure that they're in control of, of everything, the warehouses, the logistics, the employees. And this is to enhance the quality and also the customer experience and customer service. And Amazon is really the king of customer service as well. Alibaba or AliExpress, it's, it's much more about enabling uh, the partners, enabling all these sellers. And so what they do much more is really creating this, this platform. It's, it's more a marketplace than a reseller like Amazon which means they don't have inventory. And so software data analytics is much more important because that's the, the only way to make sure that everything is possible. So I feel that these two uh, are very different in style, but actually they're offering the same products, although Alibaba has many more because of the many more partners they have. Mm. And the difference is that it's almost a quality uh, customer service experience versus a quantity and availability game. I, I would almost dare to say it's like, well, Disney versus Netflix. I mean, both are great, but one is, is really about uh, just having blockbusters and the other one, which is like Amazon, and the other one is really about having just lots of localized choice and opportunity. So you're saying Netflix is more like Alibaba? Yes, I okay. do, yes. Pascal, so following up on that, do you have maybe a sense of which model potentially may win out when we talk about international, when we talk about cross-border e-commerce? Because, I mean, we see both models here in China, right? JD.com, a bit more like Amazon, they have inventory. Uh, Alibaba doesn't hold inventory. But on the global stage, eventually, might one model win out against the other? Well, it depends how you look at the world. If you look at the Western world, uh, where this often uh, acquire 
high uh, availability of, of money for, for consumers to, to purchase. They want higher quality, they want premium products, premium services, but there's still six to seven billion other people on this planet that still are looking at availability, at price, at, at, at also for their, these sellers to make money. And so I think it will depend on the markets. And I think certain markets will be very competitive because it's going to be a combination and other markets which still have to grow I think Alibaba will have an, an advantage. And so long term, I, I'm actually more bullish on, on Alibaba because uh, Amazon is just having to pay lots of money to control that everywhere in every market that still needs to be, be developed. Derek, do you share the same sentiment as Pascal? One thing I wanted to highlight is that uh, there are um, not just sort of uh, Alibaba and JD, sort of two, two versions of that. There are uh, a lot of new versions of how e-commerce uh, should be done. Uh, in China, for example, the Pinduoduo uh, version represents sort of, you know, one potential group group buying or demand aggregation uh, type of model. There are another version, uh, which is represented by some of the uh, sort of video uh, short video uh, platforms such as uh, TikTok um, or or Kuaishou, or even you know uh, some social content. Uh, driven platforms like Xiaohongshu. So there are a lot of different platforms there. So it's really hard to say. Uh, but, you know, recently you will see, you know, the growth of uh, people spending time on live streaming and short video. Uh, that represents especially on, on sort of Gen Z's horizon, uh, how people like to spend their time, get information, uh, get acquaintance with a brand or product, or even, you know, uh, um, complete the purchase. Um, mm. So those new uh, platforms and new trends will also shape how the how the future will look like. Mm. Okay. Well, Derek, Pascal, stick around. We're going to take a short break because when we come back, as cross-border e-commerce gains more traction, we're going to discuss how should business models really move in lockstep? How should they move in tandem with this rise of cross-border e-commerce? We'll discuss all of that with Derek and Pascal when we return. Coming up next, apart from opportunities, what are some of the challenges that retailers need to contend with? A lot of uh, industrial 4.0 technologies, now that is not becoming the future anymore. That has to be done. What decisions have to be immediately made, no matter what else? What are some of the sort of hero skills you decide to focus uh, your unlimited marketing dollars on? Welcome back. I want to delve into the business models at the forefront of cross-border e-commerce, specifically a business model called C2M or consumer to manufacture, all that and much more with Derek and Pascal back to our discussion on cross-border e-commerce. Pascal, I want to ask you again on this part, the first question in terms of the pandemic, certainly that's really recalibrated the calculus of a lot of companies when it comes to cross-border e-commerce. How have you seen companies adjust? What are sort of the, the new trends being spurred by the pandemic when it comes to cross-border e-commerce? Well, the pandemic uh, definitely created a lot of change. Uh, in itself, I, I could say that online and digital has become the new normal. And so that means that a lot of uh, industrial 4.0 technologies that we've seen in the past before the pandemic, they were talking about AI and robotics and 5G, and it's all something that you need to implement. Now that is not becoming the future anymore. That has to be done. If you haven't done it yet, you're probably going to lose out on a lot of things. The other thing that I think is also a big change. People care more about what they buy. They care about healthy products, safety products. They have to be environmental friendly. So there's a lot of emotional uh, loaded 
feelings when people buy now. And so brands need to be aware of that. And that means they need more transparency. And I see a big trend happening now, not just in Industry 4.0, but also in openness. It's about data, opening data, payments have to be flexible. So Derek, on that, if you were to give strategic advice to companies that really want to elevate their game when it comes to cross-border e-commerce, what do you think that should be? I mean, perhaps talk to us about some of the pain points that we see in cross-border e-commerce right now, which is totally different compared to domestic e-commerce. I mean, we want that convenience with e-commerce, but can we really get that when it comes to cross-border? Um, one of the key um, pain points that we've seen is actually um, how do we actually actually um, flex your supply chain, uh, your ability to come up with new business innovation, uh, new product and uh, brand to satisfy that consumer needs uh, becomes a really uh, a big challenge, right? So a lot of uh, uh, big companies, how do you actually achieve uh, both uh, the, the scale uh, advantage that you used to have with the needs uh, of that agility and adaptability uh, of the dynamic of uh, uh, consumer uh, demand changes? I think that's uh, one of the biggest uh, uh, pain points that uh, a lot of brands are struggling with. Mm. Uh, the other one is, you know, how do you actually, um, uh, hundreds or thousands of uh, brands and SKUs you have, what are some of the sort of hero SKUs or hero products you decide to focus uh, your unlimited marketing dollars on when it comes to cross-border e-commerce? The e-commerce and the use of big data and also AI uh, technology give you a lot of uh, new opportunity, which you didn't have before, to really, you know, pinpoint those uh, consumer pref uh, preferences. But still, you, ha you have to test the water on consumers' preference uh, on your uh, value proposition, on your brands and products, uh, and, and use that to then guide your sales and marketing, and even your supply chain, uh, to, to, to come up with the products that, that they need in a timely manner. The industry-wide value chain includes everything from downstream raw material producers to consumers. Several business models such as B2C and C2C are thriving elements of e-commerce. New models keep showing up as well, driving the sector forward and creating even more competition. A new model called C2M creates a direct link between consumers and manufacturers. C2M companies analyze social media data and provide manufacturers with the latest trends to help them gain deeper insights into their customers. The model empowers manufacturers to step up and make their own brands. New challenges are coming. How will the brands respond? Derek, I want to continue with you. Um, Consumer to manufacturer, this is a very interesting model I want to get your take on. Do you think this is sort of the future of cross-border e-commerce? You were talking about meeting consumer needs, meeting customer needs. This, I believe, was first proposed here in China by a platform called Biao. What do you think about the C2M model? You know, you can see the, the two different type of model in China as well. For one model is like Pingdodo, right? They actually use the demand aggregation uh, or use the power of uh, social e-commerce to really aggregate or promote that uh, demand uh, from the consumer side, and then uh, you know work with manufacturers so that they can you know get to the extreme of uh, uh, value for money, right? So that really speaks to the to the value seeking, uh, probably more sort of lower tier uh, you know see, uh, consumers. Uh, but the other example are, are actually the Alibaba of JD of the world. They use the power of their big data that they process with. Um, the, the hundreds of million or even billion 
uh, consumer data, uh, consumer base uh, to really, and also couple that with the AI and uh, technology to help the companies to pinpoint uh, their demand uh, or of their product mm. uh, to a specific group of consumers. Mm. And Pascal, what do you think about the advantages and perhaps weaknesses of this consumer to manufacturer model? I mean, do you think this really can be a game changer when it comes to cross-border? I think it can be a, a real game changer because uh, it helps primarily the, the factories to go from made in China to create in China in a way. Because now they have the data, they have the intelligence, they, they know what to produce, how much to produce, they can upscale, downscale, they can actually invest much better. And so that intelligence is something that the factories never had before. And so I do believe that platforms offering that intelligence are giving uh, hope for many of these factories to now become even brands, uh, to become an original brand manufacturer. And so the game is completely changing in my view where the brands now don't only have to look at how do I sell into a market, but how do I work with, with factories that maybe become my competitor or my partner or my supplier. And so it's becoming very complicated. But in general, I'm very uh, positive about this C2M model because it, it allows a new industry, or I would say the factories, to, to level up and to actually become higher in the chain. Uh, the challenge, of course, in cross-border is, is, is keeping up that quality because there's challenges with quality. If, if you're very agile and, and constantly change, then keeping up the quality is, is definitely an issue on itself. Mm. Uh, and then there's also things like environment, which, which we shouldn't forget about because, I mean, having more packages throughout the world uh, is not a good thing always. So yeah. there's going to be some changes needed there too. True. The downsides of e-commerce in terms of what we're going to do with all these plastic and packaging waste. Uh, uh, Pascal, but C2M, it's not going to exist in a vacuum, right? We're going to still see other models for e-commerce existing on the global stage, on a cross-border stage as well, right? For example, direct-to-consumer. I don't see that going away just because C2M is sort of a new model for this. No, it definitely is not going to go away. What we're going to see is just more players and more, more models. And so they're all going to start merging. And, and that's why I like China so much in a way, because they're always experimenting all these models within the market. And, and just like Derek said, whether it's live streaming or social commerce or group buying or, I mean, they're all competing with each other. And ultimately, um, there's models coming out all the time. But that doesn't mean the old models don't work anymore. But I do think these new models like C2M, are a new opportunity for new players to actually get seen in the market, which before they were just hidden and, yeah. and nobody knew them. Another quick break. When we return, what can we expect for the future of cross-border e-commerce development from policymakers all the way to market catalysts? What's going to propel digital buying and selling internationally to the next level? More with Derek and Pascal when we return. Coming up next, influence marketing. Is it a strategy that companies must adopt? All those actually shorten the time for consumers from getting Noah brand to a purchase. How to really meet consumer needs and win brand loyalty. Brands need to look beyond just the data. They need to look at the people behind the data. All right, welcome back, Pascal. In terms of technology, that's definitely going to be an important helping hand for policymakers to really spur and take cross-border e-commerce to the next level. What are sort of the major trends that you see in terms of how technology is helping all of this? I think there first needs to be a catch-up globally, and, and China could, of course, help in that, but definitely the world needs to somehow get to the level that it's easy to do business uh, with uh, cross-border. 
And, and that's still a very big thing. Mm. Uh, on top of that, I do believe that tracking, tracing, and definitely artificial intelligence can help. But IoT, just for tracking everything, is something that you can see within a country happening maybe. But how do you do that cross-border? That's not so easy, but that still needs to do. And that's a lot to do with data sharing. And so this is the big bottleneck. Uh, people need to share data when they trade with each other. Mm. And many players are not comfortable yet. The only advantage that China has is, of course, it's the biggest trading partner of most countries in the world. So they can kind of put their standard uh, there. But then it's going to be a race or a fight on standards. So are we going to use the Chinese standards or the foreign standards or the Western standards? Who's going to build these standards? And so we still have a lot of work to do on building standards. I do believe blockchain is going to be central to this thing because it's a trust technology in itself. And because China is really focused on this blockchain within the whole trade, I mm. do believe they have a big chance on getting people on the blockchain service network that China is building. If we think about cross-border e-commerce, of course, I feel counterfeiting is definitely going to be a big issue. How do we think about fraud, counterfeiting, making sure that IPR rights are there and that cybersecurity is there as well? Uh, I think there's a huge issue that China is, is fa facing already for many, many decades uh, to make sure that the, the world believes in, 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 in actually their taking this serious. And, and I think they are, it's just that it's not communicated enough. So I think beside the fact that there's a lot of uh, effort being done, uh, both on the cybersecurity, on, on making sure that the IP rights are getting right. If you look at the IP rights laws in, in China and, and Europe, it's, it's very, very similar. There's very little difference between both. And so it is very safe in a way, but people don't perceive it like that. But when it comes to counterfeits, I do believe that the best way is to use technology again, because you can't just keep using people. I mean, China has more than enough people. That's not the problem. But you need technology to solve the problem. But there it's, again, more about getting people on that same chain and, and, and connect, connecting all the dots to make sure that you actually know where the origin comes from. Mm. But I see in China, there's a big trend going into that direction because they have the biggest challenge of proving to the world and proving to many people inside China even that the products are real and not fake. The digital revolution has forever changed the marketing landscape, from consumer behavior to marketing strategy. Today, consumers expect a personalized experiences. When was the last time that you bought something because you saw advertisements on TV or in a newspaper? That's the power of influencer marketing. It provides viewers with personalized information, targets customers precisely, and realizes brand localization. That's all brands want when doing cross-border e-commerce. I don't feel these models are going to work if you don't have the attention of the consumer, uh, Derek. When it comes to uh, e-commerce and, and live streaming, I want to get your take on influencers, especially these food influencers, I feel, makes me buy really quick. So in terms of how brands can adjust, can better use these influencers, these KOLs as a distribution channel, what are your thoughts on that? They, they should be seeing as sort of one of the key stakeholders in uh, consumers' uh, purchasing uh, decision or even the whole sort of um, you know consumer journey from sort of getting awareness of the brand uh, you know uh, generate some interest of trial uh, you know consideration of uh, uh, different brands among different brands and then going to the purchase decision so the influencer or the KOL or key opinion consumers KOCs um, they are everywhere they are in you know every touch points of uh, between the brand and the consumers according to some of the latest research uh, that we have uh, we have done 
uh, among all the touch points of uh, consumers, uh, the fastest growth uh, touch points are actually the short videos and live streamings, right? So uh, this represents sort of the growth uh, of uh, consumers' attention. And those attention are not only on uh, sort of the early part of the, the, that journey in terms of uh, awareness building uh, and, and the interest building, but also on, on purchase. For example, TikTok uh, has recently launched uh, their, uh, their own e-commerce uh, sort of platform. Um, and also, th they are long, you know, being a, a, a link uh, during those, uh, uh, you know, videos so that you can click into and buy into the product immediately. Uh, so all those actually shorten um, the, 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 the length or the time for consumers from, get, from getting no, to, no a brand to a purchase. Mm, okay. And Pascal, when it comes to cross-border, how do we really increase and boost brand loyalty? I'm assuming influencers definitely will play a significant role in this, but what else? Because when it comes to the global stage in terms of products and services, really there's so many selections for consumers. How do you really stand out? How do you get that brand loyalty? Yeah, so it's, it's about creating value. Uh, but I think what Derek said is, is, is very uh, correct. It's, it's all going to be about influencers because what's changing in the marketing now is that it's going from one to many to one to one. Mm. And so the problem is that people very often, they don't trust the brands anymore. They don't trust what is offered because there's so many problems that has arisen in the past. And so what that means is they're looking for people that they do trust, which is often key opinion consumers or key opinion leaders, influencers that they feel these people want to tell their authentic story. They want to tell how it really is. But it's also about building communities. And, and that means rewarding people for being part of that community, making them feel belonging to that community. Mm. And so it's a lot of emotional that comes on top of it. So brands need to look beyond, beyond just the data they need to look at the people behind the data. And I think that's where the influencers are making the difference. Mm, yeah, I mean, this is a huge total addressable market. We've got about 30 trillion US dollars in terms of retail sales. Cross-border e-commerce, I feel like we're just getting started, but we're certainly seeing fast growth on this front. It was a very fascinating discussion, gentlemen. Derek Dung from Bain & Company, as well as Pascal Coppins from Nextworks. Thank you so much. I would love to buy more products from Belgium, by the way. I mean, it feels like the world are the consumer's oysters, right, in terms of being in one country and selecting products from all over the world. So a lot of great insights, a lot of great advice. Thank you, Derek and Pascal, to you both. And with that, we're going to wrap up this edition of BizTalk. I'm Michael Wong here in Beijing. We'll see you again next week.